I hit that turning point and I decided that I, I wanted to to try again and I wanted to rethink the Christian journey and how how I played into it. Welcome to the Dismantle, creating community, not converts. Welcome to Dismantle Podcast, a place for community, not converts. I'm your host, Joey. On this show, we attempt to dismantle an issue that poses as problematic for the church by having a discussion with a guest who has insight or experience with that subject. We're not always going to agree, but we're not going to argue because our goal is to build bridges and not barriers. Our guest today is Drew Nelson from the Here Podcast. Drew, welcome to the show. Hey, Joey. Thanks for having me on. Really appreciate it. I'm excited we got to connect, man. Thanks for saying yes. Yeah, of course. My pleasure. <laughs> so before we dive into our conversation today, can you give our listeners a little bit about who you are, where you are, and some of the work that you do? Yeah, for sure. Uh, so you said it. My name's Drew Nelson. I am uh, a former Michigander, now uh, moved to Texas, Austin, Texas. Um, I'm in a suburb north of of Austin uh, with my wife, Quinn, and our dog child, Topo. <laughs> um, and what I do is fairly complicated. Uh, we moved down here to plant a church uh, based on the Austin boom, and there's not enough churches down here to cover the amount of people that are moving to Austin. And so we're trying to pick up the pace, I guess you would say, in this area uh, so I'm a part of a small church plant. I'm I, the nature of church plants means that I do uh, a lot of things. It's like all hands on deck sort of deal. Um, but primarily my my position is as a as the worship pastor, you might say, or um, the I, I like writing liturgies and, and then I handle the the music side of things as well. So that's what I do for my passion and then also producing the Here podcast on the side as well. And then to pay the bills, I'm a school bus driver <laughs> for the public school system. It's fantastic. And uh, the podcast is primarily how I found you, uh, a lot of the liturgy and, and the content and how it connects to our ordinary lives and, and the spiritual experience. But Drew, with as much transparency as you prefer, would you mind sharing with us about your deconstruction journey? Maybe what started it and some of the ideas that began the process. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, so as I'm sure you've, the the audience of this show is, is pretty familiar with, um, my background is in a very uh, conservative and evangelical American uh, sort of background. Um, and so I, I was raised very strongly in that world. I was also, and still am, <laughs> a pastor's kid. Uh, so I, I was raised in a pastoral family, and um, it was a very loving family, and I have a, a great relationship with my family, and um, uh, a very, what you might say, very strong and foundational upbringing. Um, as I, as I got into my middle school and high school years, I started attending a very politically and theologically conservative school. Um, 
that being a, a private Christian school. And it, it's not just like, it wasn't just your run of the mill, um, private Christian school. It, it, it bears a, a title called classical Christian school and a classical Christian education. And the, the basis of classical Christian education is uh, it's centered around this, I, these ideas of truth and beauty and goodness and, uh, and certainty in, in a lot of ways. And so we covered a lot of classes like apologetics classes and logic classes and, and rhetoric classes. Um, and it's just a very academic environment and it's all kind of centered around, it was kind of centered around, um, searching for the truth. And once you found that truth, holding on to that truth with a very firm and tight grip and not letting go of that truth. And once you got to a certain point, arguing for that truth and convincing people of that truth. Um, and so kind of the trajectory of what my progression through the school, uh, through middle school and high school looked like was that I went through a, a stage where I was learning how to write correct and coherent sentences. And then I went through a stage where I learned how to form logical and coherent arguments. Um, and then my final stage was uh, learning how to deliver this argument that I had developed uh, in the most persuasive way possible, you might say. So, uh, yeah, I mean, you probably get the idea. It's very, um, very academic and certainty-based environment. Um, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, and, and I think a lot of our listeners can relate to that. How did that environment shape your spiritual journey? Because I think a lot of people will say, well, this is where I came from, but not a lot of people understand how this forms and shapes your worldview, your spirituality. So how did that change for you? Yeah, for sure. I guess there were, there were a couple really large ways. Um, the first might be that uh, there, there was this heavy emphasis on these true and beautiful and good things uh, being found outside of ourselves. Like it was a search for something exterior, uh, some truth that existed outside of our own selves, right? Like, like it was a adventure that we were on looking for something. Um, and then and then, so, so I guess, I guess you might say also, like, as I was being formed by uh, my environment within and outside of this school, so in church and in youth camps and, and stuff like this, so as I was being spiritually formed and, and gaining these experiences and having these very experiential moments that a lot of us have when we're inside the evangelical church, um, this, this very academic and, and certainty based, uh, environment enabled me or mm, enables not the right word, uh, 
prompted me to hold on to these experiences and to the way that I was beginning to interpret the Bible and the way that I was being taught to interpret the Bible and to understand the Bible and the Christian faith and and the journey with God, to hold on to my personal experiences with all these things with a very tight and close-minded grip. Does that that answer the question? (laughs) Yeah, definitely. And I think many within the deconstruction community have then cited it as being an incredibly inclusive place, one that enables free thinking, one that doesn't limit inclusivity based on right theology, as you so well put. Would you say that it's true now that the community that you find yourself in is the complete antithesis of where you came from? Or has it been more of a plateau journey where as you continue to go and grow, you're expanding who and 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 what is pouring into you as a, a human along this spiritual journey? Yeah, so I think I think post uh, the the most difficult part of my faith disorientation the you know the authors uh the friends um and even to a certain extent the church community that i've surrounded myself with here and now is um obviously obviously yes it is a work in progress but it is it is all a community that works to encourage um, to encourage open-mindedness and to hear and listen to other people's experiences and to see that loving people and living life isn't always a cookie cutter way of doing things. Now, many within the deconstruction community have cited it to be a very lonely process at times. For you, specifically as a pastor's kid, did you experience that loneliness through deconstruction, or was there a community around you doing it with you? Uh, It was an incredibly lonely process. Um, uh, You know, I I had friends, um, and you know, at the time that I I hit the worst of this, uh, I was married and still am married. Uh, so, um, I had also my wife who was, um, who was there as a source of comfort. And then, uh, you know, I had my, I had my closest friends who were, um, what's the term, a sounding wall, uh, who would listen to me and would hear me out. And then I had my parents who were, trying really, really hard to understand and to be present with me. Um, So I did have people in my life that were present and available for me, but I was pretty much doing it alone. And um, it was helpful at times to have people to talk to and to be with 
and in some cases to to feel the the strength of their encouragement in my life but it it was by far the the scariest and loneliest part of my journey now within that time i think many people who step away from evangelicalism from fundamentalist environments from conservative circles they step into this unknown a lot of times we don't go back necessarily to the Bible to help navigate this course. What role has the Bible played in your life? Because many people find it to be a continually problematic book that they can't really seem to connect to. I guess a two-part question, what role did it play and what role now does it play in your life? Yeah, that's a, a great question. and That's something that I think about. It's a, it's a question that I think about and live with a lot. And I think the the further I move forward into this journey, the the better understanding I have what that means for me, at least. Um, but there was a time because because the the Bible was part of my part of my spiritual formation in especially in high school, um, along with this with this idea of having to be certain about things and to hold on to this certainty. Uh, part of my spiritual formation was <clears throat> developing a very strong love for the Bible. And um, I loved it and I trusted it. <clears throat> and in my worst times, it, uh, it gave me comfort and strength and solace. And I remember there were moments in high school where I would literally travel from class to class holding onto my Bible uh, because I because I found it so so comforting to me. And th those were in my hardest moments in high school. But uh, because of that trajectory that I was on uh, to having such a deep value and love for Scripture, when life turned upside down and the community, a community that I loved and trusted turned on me and started to use this source of comfort and strength and truth called the Bible against me as a weapon. Um, it was really hard to think about, let alone read. Um, and so for a while, uh, not, not just because it was being used as, as a, a weapon of attack against me, but, but also because I had been exposed to uh, different ways of understanding the Bible that didn't exactly line up with the way that I was taught, um, uh, that these ways led me to be very confused and full of doubt in my approach to the Bible. So I was just hurt and I was confused and I had lots of questions. And so for, especially for the worst part of my disorientation process, I stuck the Bible on a shelf and it stayed there and it collected dust. And that was that. Um, and, you know, now that I look back on that, I honestly don't have any regrets <laughs> and you know I don't think it's the same for everyone um, everyone has a unique and, and special journey 
Um, but for that time, because it was a source of pain and confusion, it was stuck on the shelf. Um, now, on the other side, as you know, I, I kind of hit my rock bottom where I decided where, where I needed to make the decision if I was going to continue into this Christian tradition or if I was just going to leave it all behind and, uh, and find something new and fresh. Um, I, I hit that turning point and I decided that I, I wanted to, to try again and I wanted to rethink the, the Christian journey and how, how I played into it. Um, and so at that point, when I started taking steps forward, which I'm always a little hesitant to talk about taking steps forward, because uh, um, it kind of makes it seem like growth is a very linear thing when maybe it's more of an expansion. But um, as I started to take steps forward, uh, I started becoming interested in engaging with the Bible again. And, and, and then that's kind of, kind of when I, I started the here podcast, which formerly was called ancient future spirituality. Um, when I, when I started the podcast, my, that was kind of my intro back into engaging with the Bible. Um, and specifically the Psalms where, where, I, I wasn't diving deep into a, 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 a Bible study because that, that was still really confusing for me. Um, but I, I kind of eased my way into a very contemplative and open-minded approach in engaging with the Psalms. which is a great setup for your podcast and the content within it. Can you unpack for us the value that you've found within the Psalms? Maybe not just now, because I think anytime we reapproach a book or, or a work of literature, we find something new and different. But what have you found within the Psalms now as it applies to our deconstruction process, maybe even our spiritual awareness? Yeah, I think, you know, if I was going to boil it down to a value— um, the value that, that I kind of hit through, through constantly making myself, I guess, engage with the Psalms on a regular basis for the purpose of the here podcast. Um, maybe the value I, I, I drew from that constant progression and that constant rhythm of engaging with these, um, with these Psalms is, is that the, the Psalms specifically, but also the Bible in general, uh, is, is not, it, it is an invitation. The Psalms are an invitation to engage with our human experience honestly. Um, to 
you know, there's, there's this idea in a lot of faith communities that we need to feel a certain way. And if we don't feel a certain way, maybe if we're not always experiencing happiness and joy, uh, maybe if we're feeling pain and sorrow and sometimes even feelings of vengeance, uh, there's this idea that we need to feel guilty about <laughs> about the sorrow that we feel or that we need to feel shameful. Like, you know, I don't even know where this idea came from, maybe from the, the modern evangelical movement of the 20th century in the American church. Uh, but just this idea that if we feel pain or sorrow or or really hard emotional feelings or uh, if we feel feelings of vengeance vengeance or dare I even say hatred um, of uh, someone who has hurt us or something that has hurt us uh, that we need to shove those feelings down uh, and deep into our soul and not engage with them because it's not right to feel those feelings. Um, and I think what, what the Psalms have meant for me as I engage with them on a very contemplative basis is that the feelings, the, the experiences that... I have and I go through as a human are meant to be engaged with honestly and I can't move past those feelings until I move into those feelings and and begin working through them um uh, you know, like the the reality of our our human experience is that there are people that hurt us, and there are experiences that fill us with rage and sorrow. And humans, we doubt and have questions. Even even the people who say they don't doubt and they don't have questions, there are always doubts and questions about things. Um, and the Bible literally invites us and, you know, specifically looking at the Psalms literally invites us not to hide those feelings or to pretend that the questions and fears are the antithesis of trust or the antithesis of faith and uh, that we need to continue to shove them deeper and deeper until we're numb or super explosive. Um, the Psalms invite us to get sad with Yahweh. They invite us to get angry with Yahweh. They invite us to pray honest prayers of vengeance that we feel. Um, I think that this is maybe best displayed by the fact that a th like almost a third of the Psalms are, uh, are lament Psalms, you know, and they talk about being crushed and rejected by God and, uh, returning to the dust from whence we came and crying and weeping in the pits of despair. Um, so in ways, I guess, this this kind of correlates to 
the scientific or psychological process of grieving. You know, like we can't move forward. We can't move upward. We can't move outward until we've accepted and dealt with these experience on the ground floor, bare knees with, uh, with Yahweh. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And then taking that, Drew, if the church were to look at that book within a book, the Psalms within the canon of Scripture, how do you think we could better apply this new holistic approach to it in terms of discipleship, in terms of church organization, just connecting with people, what do you think a first step would be for people within the church trying to better grapple with this subject? Yeah, for sure. That's a, that's a very important question because I think churches in general feel very uncomfortable with doubt and questions and rage and sorrow and pain. So I think maybe a first step, uh, maybe not the first step, but a great step would be to stop ignoring the Psalms that make us uncomfortable. Um, it, It can be difficult and confusing to deal with those psalms on a congregational level to deal with the hard psalms that that you know mention really hard things like dashing the the heads of the enemy's infants on rocks and and weeping into um into the ground and uh and then you know some of the awful um just those very uncomfortable psalms of vengeance that the psalmists pray against their enemies. Those are really uncomfortable things. And I think it's, it's very easy to, you know, you know, even, even with churches that are engaging with the lectionary, which is a whole different, whole different topic. But, you know, when it's, when it's our turn to read a, a really hard psalm, it can be really easy to flip to the next page and find a psalm that sits with us a little better. Um, so yeah, not, uh, not ignoring the hard Psalms. And then maybe on top of that, um, I've actually seen in a couple larger evangelical churches, this, this push to talk about lament, which is a great thing. Um, I I love and cherish the practice of lament and it has meant a lot to me in my faith disorientation uh but maybe instead of just talking about these psalms that are hard instead of maybe talking about the process of lament maybe churches can practice lament together and uh you know there are there are a couple different types of lament psalms there are individual ones and there are corporate ones maybe we grab some corporate laments and practice them together as a church and pray those prayers together um on a sunday morning or or whatnot but i think you know the biggest thing is just creating space for that uncomfortability and for those questions and for those doubts and and for those raw emotions to be felt and to be expressed um in the in the communal gatherings and especially exhibited by people that are leading are leading the church 
Those are powerful thoughts, Drew. Thank you. And, and thanks so much for being on the show. If people wanted to connect with you, with the podcast online, how could they do that and where could they find you? Yeah. Um, so I have a website. Uh, it's drewconnornelson.com. Um, C-O-N-N-O-R for Connor. Uh, and then I'm also fairly active on Instagram as well um, at either Drew Connor Nelson or the Here Podcast. Um, and then the Here Podcast, of, of course, is, is on Patreon and it's on just about any major podcasting platform that, that you can think of. Um, and uh, all the details to, to find me would be anywhere that you can find the Here Podcast. That's awesome. We'll throw it in the show notes. But again, thanks for being on the show. Thank you so much for having me. It means a lot. And that wraps up this episode of Dismantle Podcast. If you want to connect to the work of the podcast, you can visit us on patreon.com slash dismantlepod. You can find us on all social media at dismantlepod, or you can shoot us an email at dismantlepod at gmail.com. Until next time, don't complain about the things you're not willing to change. <laughs>